What up, creatures from cyberspace? John here with another Grave Talk Quickie. And today I'd like to talk about The Exorcism of Emily Rose. It's a great possession film wrapped in an excellent court drama. And like many horror movies, it claims to be based on a true story, so I figured I'd look into it. And perhaps unsurprisingly, the movie has almost no relation to the actual events. But in its own way, the true story is much more horrifying. The Exorcism of Emily Rose is based on the story of Annalise Michael, who went through 67 exorcisms between 1975 and her death in 1976. Annalise was born in 1952 in West Germany to very devout Roman Catholic parents. She was a sickly child, and when she was 16, she had her first serious convulsive attack where she almost bit through her tongue. After the seizure, she reported that she felt a great weight pinning her down, uh, and she was diagnosed with epilepsy, and then she went a year without further incident. But after a second seizure, she was referred to a neurologist who couldn't detect anything wrong with Annalise, and he would later testify that all neurological and psychological findings were negative. Nonetheless, in 1970, she was prescribed anti-convulsive medication for the first time to help with her increasingly serious seizures. And shortly after that, she reported seeing devil faces for the first time. That same year, she went to college to study elementary education, and her classmates described her as withdrawn and very religious. Uh, for example, she kept a large font of holy water in her dorm. In 1972, she suffered yet another major seizure, and this time she went through multiple EEGs, which all returned normal. Doctors adjusted her medication, and the symptoms receded for a while. In 1973, her condition continued to deteriorate. She started hearing voices while praying, telling her that she was damned and that she would rot in hell. And besides the seizures, she would also go stiff or complain about smelling horrible smells not noticed by others. She also continued to complain about seeing a grimacing face following her around. Additionally, she was becoming increasingly intolerant of Christian symbols such as crucifixes, which came to the surface really during a visit to a shrine to the Virgin Mary Annalise took in the summer of 1973. She had been looking forward to this trip for years, but when she finally was able to go, it would turn out to be a very traumatic experience for Annalise. On the bus to the shrine, she ripped apart a rosary, and witnesses say she exuded a bad smell, and for the first time, she smoked in a masculine, unnatural voice. When she arrived at the shrine, her mother reported that each time she passed by the statue of the Virgin Mary, her eyes would go jet black and her hands would turn into claws. Her mother described it by saying it was as if... She hated the mother of God. She was also unable to enter the shrine itself and claimed the soil burned her feet, and she felt compelled to avert her eyes from pictures of Jesus. She would later describe her actions by saying, my will was not my own, explaining that something or someone was compelling her to act this way, and there was nothing she could do to prevent it. In September of 1973, before returning to college, she went back to the doctors for another examination. She told them about the faces, but refused to describe them in any details, simply calling them devil. Once again, nothing medically wrong was found with her, and she returned to school. In July of 1975, a friend from college reported this scene. I sat with her in her room, and her boyfriend Peter was also present. Suddenly, right in the middle of the conversation, her face contracted into a hideous, grimacing continence that I cannot describe in detail. Her body became completely stiff, and it took a half an hour before the cramps disappeared. Her condition continued to decline, and she became bed-bound and was regularly unable to eat. Her parents brought her home from college, where her symptoms worsened. 
It was at this point that her parents decided to explore religious options and began reaching out to priests. The first one they approached recommended they continue working with doctors. They then reached out to Father Adolf Rodwack, who was at the time a well-known author on demonic possession. He agreed that Annalise was possessed, but declined to get involved due to his age. He referred the family to another priest who also declined them and suggested that they continue with medical care. Eventually, two priests, Father Ernest Alt and Arnold Renz, took an interest in the case. Father Alt, in particular, became very close to Annalise, and he began praying with her and writing letters on her behalf to the local bishop, urging him to approve an exorcism. While home, Annalise stopped sleeping, uh, getting at most an hour of sleep at night. She would shout, My Jesus, forgiveness and mercy, for hours on end. She complained of constant heat uh, and tried to sleep in the attic, but would scream all night long and rush up and down the stairs for hours. She would run through the house naked, roll around in dirt, and at one point she put her head in the toilet to try and cool off. She would kneel up and down rapidly until her knees bled, or other times she would tremble and twitch and then go rigid for days on end. Her parents reported that she would display feats of superhuman strength, such as crushing an apple with her bare hands, or she would stuff spiders and flies into her mouth, or urinate in her underwear and stuff those in her mouth. She became violent. She attacked her parents and destroyed all the religious imagery in the house. Infrequently, she would return to her former self, and she would claim to see images of her grandmother or younger sister who had passed away, and small wounds opened on her hands and feet, which her parents believed were the stigmata. The family tried to get a hold of Alt, who was on vacation, but they were able to get in touch with Renz, who visited that September. He later testified, When I entered the house, Annalise Michael lay, fully dressed on the floor of the kitchen, and could obviously not be addressed. I am of the opinion that she was in a typical hypnotic state, in a kind of deep sleep. I should like to remark that such a state is a symptom of possession. I designated as a crisis condition. Her family then moved her to the living room where Renz tried to communicate with Annalise, and he stated, I sat down beside her and held her hands. In her trance state, I had asked, what is your name? And the answer came, Judas. She spoke with an altered, much lower voice. At this point, Renz was convinced that she was possessed and that an exorcism was needed. Along with Alt, they pleaded with the local bishop to approve the exorcism, and in September of 1975, the approval finally came through. Renz was granted the permission to perform an exorcism, but the bishop ordered total secrecy. The first exorcism took place on September 24, 1975, at 4 p.m. Renz described it as so. Started first exorcism according to instructions. Annalise, or rather the demons, behaved rather quietly at first. She reacts most violently against the holy water. She starts screaming and raging. The first exorcism lasted for five and a half hours. Throughout, three men were holding Annalise down while she would attempt to bite and kick herself free. Renz noted she was very quiet. She stated that multiple demons were inhabiting her. Some she named included Cain, Nero, Judas, Lucifer, and Hitler. Around the middle of October, Annalise reported that kinder beings would appear to her, such as Jesus or the Virgin Mary, telling her she would be free from the demons in the month of October, but that she must bear her current suffering patiently for the salvation of other souls. And on Friday, October 31st, 1975, as ordered by the Virgin Mary, all the demons were driven out one by one 
in a grueling four and a half hour exorcism. But when everyone started to celebrate and pray uh, excitingly because all of the demons had been expelled, a new one showed up. He interrupted their celebration by screaming, I have not gone out yet. Father Renz continued for three more hours to expel that demon, but failed. Despite the failed exorcism, Annalise was able to return to school a week later, and for weeks continued attending school in the day and in general living a normal life and then being exercised in the evenings. In a November 9th session, the last demon identified himself as Judas and claimed that he and four others had returned. In February of 1976, the situation began to worsen again. She told Father Renz that she felt compulsions to bang her head against the wall or to strip and go to bed. She would hear voices telling her she always had to wear the same shoes. She complained that she was no longer permitted to eat or cover herself when she was cold and that she felt her prayers were no longer being heard. On March 3rd, she experienced another stiffness episode. The priests traveled to her school, but an exorcism had no effect. She soon recovered on her own and resumed eating and attending classes. Starting in April, her condition would rapidly alternate from serious to non-existent, with events such as her claiming she was compelled to kneel in the school chapel for a full day, being followed by her attending and participating in classes. At the end of the Good Friday Mass, Annalise found herself unable to move and stood rigidly for hours in the chapel, and by the last week of April, she had started refusing food. Father Renz and Alt were called back to the campus, but when they arrived on May 1st, she had returned to her regular self. But in the early days of May, she worsened again, and except for gradually shrinking windows, she was regularly suffering from compulsions and seizures. It was during this time that the last doctor to see Annalise alive visited. On May 30th, Dr. Richard Roth, a friend of Father Alt, came by. In later testimony, he claimed he only stopped by to satisfy scientific curiosity, and he didn't visit as a physician, and he made no examination of Annalise or reports on her condition despite her serious state. He gave some cursory suggestions on how to treat her bruising, but overall he was more overwhelmed than helpful, with witnesses reporting he said Annalise was untreatable, stating... There are no injections for evil. Unfortunately for Annalise, her situation over the next month developed from serious to critical. Father Alt saw Annalise last on June 8th, reporting she had a sunken face from malnourishment. By that point, she had hardly eaten for the last two months, excepting small amounts of liquid. When people tried to force feed her, she would spit out the food or press her lips together. She chipped her teeth from biting the wall and repeatedly bit herself and others. By the middle of the month, most of her more serious wounds had healed. She was still compulsively kneeling and raising dozens of times a day, and she continued to scream and rage in bed, but this was beginning to be interspaced with periods of lucidness. Her Annalise would tell her family she expected this to be all over by July and beg them not to call a doctor. As late as June 30th, the day before she died, she told her sister that a doctor could not help her and that she feared being sent to a state mental hospital. June 30th was also the day of her final exorcism. At the end of this exorcism, Annalise spoke her final words. She asked Father Renz, please, absolution, requesting the absolution part of the Roman ritual which he gave. Annalise continued to scream and throw herself around throughout the night. But at some point after midnight, her father commanded the demons to leave since it was now July, and Jesus had told Annalise that this would be over in July. After that, Annalise turned and immediately went to sleep. That concluded 
her 67th and final exorcism. The following morning, her father looked in on her and found her still sleeping, and he went to work. An hour later, his wife called him to tell him that Annalise was dead. She was only 23 years old. Medical examiners concluded that her death was caused by starvation. She weighed only 68 pounds when she died, had broken both of her knees, and was reported to have contracted pneumonia. Even with all that, state prosecutors contended her death could have been prevented as late as one week before she died. And as such, the state charged both her parents and fathers Alton Renz with negligent homicide. They recommended against jail time and instead asked that the priest be fined and the parents exempted from punishment as they had suffered enough. The trial started on March 30, 1978, and was considerably less fanciful than shown in the film. The defense did play the tapes of her exorcism that Father Renz and Alt took, but their main defense was that exorcism was legal and that the German constitution protected a citizen's unrestricted exercise of their religious beliefs. In April of 1978, the accused were convicted and given suspended prison sentences. So that's the true story behind the exorcism of Emily Rose. As you can see, the movie took more than a few liberties and really doesn't have much to do with the source story behind the concept of a priest is put on trial for death during an exorcism. But I found the true story itself to be a very compelling tale and one that leaves a lot of questions open with very few answers. But what do you think? Was Annalise truly possessed? Let us know your thoughts on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And until next time.